Well, hey, everybody, it's good to be with you today. And a special thank you to those of you who are hosting watch parties today. And also to those of you who are participating in the Great Grace Grill Out this weekend. It's great that we can find new ways to come together uh, even while we're still apart. I just wanted to start off my message today by apologizing to you. You know, with the weight and the seriousness of, of all that has happened with the killing of George Floyd and then absolutely everything that has transpired since, we should have interrupted what we had already filmed and produced for last weekend's services and, and just figured out a way to talk about it during the service itself. And that's my fault, and I'm sorry. Instead, I created a video that we ended up sharing on social media, and then we posted links to that video during our services. But I think a lot of you missed it, and I, I should have worked harder to add that directly to our live stream as well. So I apologize for that. But I just want to assure you, that decision has nothing to do with us somehow not taking this seriously or not believing that everything that's going on is extremely important. We know it is. In fact, as a leadership team, we've been working over the last week and a half to, to try to understand and also to create opportunities for us to pray and to act. And, and probably one of the more important things is to educate ourselves about everything that's going on right here in our community. And so if you'd like to know more about what we're doing as Grace Church, and if you'd like to participate along with us in all of these things, Darla, who she mentioned this already, but is going to be sharing some more details about how you can get involved at the end of the service, as well as something about the resources and the discussion opportunities that we're planning around this topic uh, and this reality of racism and discrimination that still is running rampant through our society today. And so... I want us to recognize that we are all learning and growing together through this time. And, and therefore, it probably should be no surprise to anyone that there are lots of different people with lots of differing opinions on absolutely everything. We are bound to make mistakes because we're people, we're imperfect, all of us. But as Christians, we are also bound to one another in Christ. And that doesn't mean that we're not going to say the wrong things or, or maybe not say the right things or that people are not going to be somehow upset no matter what we say. But my hope and my prayer is that as the church, in the midst of all of this, we can remember that valuing human life is something that we are called to by the very creator who made us in his image. And therefore, the pursuit of justice and human dignity is not in conflict with Christianity. In fact, it's a defining characteristic of it. It's an outpouring of the character of a truly good and merciful God who came to us in Jesus Christ and announced his intentions to set the captives free, to stand for the marginalized and the oppressed, and to proclaim the Lord's favor, the good news to all people living in this lost and broken world. And so as today we conclude our series of walking through Psalm 23 verse by verse, I just would like us to remember that all that's going on in our communities and all around in, in this broken world, while we turn at the same time our attention toward a good and merciful God 
who will see us through this. And that is a promise. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for gathering us together, even in, in new, new ways that we feel scattered apart from one another. You are binding us together in you. We thank you for who you are. And we ask now that, that you come by the power of your Holy Spirit and share a word with each of us, that you wake us up in our hearts, that we might see things from your perspective. We might come to know how to follow you in new ways and that we might understand who you are even more than ever before. We just ask that you come, Lord Jesus. It's your name that we pray. Amen. Well, this is our last week in Psalm 23. And as we've been working our way through this, we've also been trying to memorize these six verses of the psalm together uh, as a church. I've seen a lot of your videos as you've, as you've been uploading them. And I'm hoping that you have found this to be a blessing to you. I know that it's been a blessing to me. Uh, just over the last week and a half with everything that's going on, there are many times that I have found myself just simply not knowing what to pray. And I found that the words of this ancient psalm have continued to ring true in my ears, right in the midst of all the struggles and the challenges that we're facing individually and collectively. And so as we've been doing this together, let's, let's do it together right now. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And now here's our verse for today, verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, I think it's important for us to just consider for a moment the way that this starts, this last verse, because we sort of tend to lump all of these words together and just blurt it out, like, surely goodness and mercy. It kind of reminds me of like when you sing the alphabet song and you get to the uh, part where it says LMNO. We, we sometimes think that that's just one letter, LMNO, instead of four. And it's the same thing here. When we smash it all together, we actually start missing the significance of each word. So let's look at the first word, surely. Now, surely is probably not a word that you use very much in everyday conversation, I guess unless your name is Shirley, and then you probably do. But think about this. What does Shirley mean? Well, it, it doesn't mean, well, gosh, I hope this happens. I've got my fingers crossed. It doesn't mean, well, if everything works out right, then just maybe. It doesn't mean probably. It doesn't mean it could. It doesn't mean it might. It means it will. It will happen. Surely. That word is powerful, powerful enough to just stand on its own for at least a moment. So maybe we should say it like this, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me 
all the days of my life. Because this is promise language. This means that beyond a shadow of a doubt, no matter what, this is going to happen. It's a for sure, it is certain. And David can say this with certainty because David knows how much his shepherd has cared for him his whole life. He knows from personal experience how trustworthy the shepherd is. He knows the faithfulness of the shepherd who makes him lie down in green pastures and rest. The shepherd who leads him to the still waters to recuperate and rejuvenate. The shepherd who leads him to the right places. The shepherd who walks with him through the dark valleys of his life and never ever leaves him. The one who sets out a table before him and prepares a feast for him, even in the middle of his enemies, and gives him more than enough to see him through. And so David is certain because he is certain about who God is. And when you know who God is, who he truly is, then we can understand also that surely goodness and mercy are following after you and me as well. And lest we think that this loving care and kindness is shown to David because he's, he's somehow better than everybody else or more perfect than anyone else, remember, David made a lot of mistakes along the way. He got it wrong a number of times in major, major ways. He fell into sin, he made bad decisions, he had lots of struggles throughout his life, and yet, even with all of that, he is somehow still certain that goodness and mercy will follow him. I hope that brings you hope today, because I think it should give us hope. Because like David, when our eyes are open and when we're truly able to see and repent of the wrongs in our lives, how we've missed the mark, then our good shepherd is merciful to us. In another psalm that David wrote, Psalm 51, uh, David talks about this directly. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. And so David is confronted by the weight of his sin. He can feel the weight of his sin. And the only option he knows that he has is to ask God to do what only God can do. He goes on in verse 10 and asks God, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. And so the reality for us is also that when we cast down our pride and our arrogance and our egos, and when we stop pretending that we have it all figured out and that we know everything, then we as well can invite God to work in and on our hearts, to break our hearts for what breaks his. We can ask him for a clean heart. We can ask him for a new perspective. We can ask him for, for forgiveness for all of the ways 
that we have fallen short. But it's only because of the care and loving kindness of our good shepherd who really does truly care for us that we are shown the mercy that we ask for and given what is good even though that's not what we really deserve. Now, I don't know if you caught it or not, but in verse 4, David says, against you only I have sinned. And I just want to think about that for a minute because that is really significant. It means that when we sin against one another, whether that person is a believer or not, and regardless of absolutely any other defining characteristic about that person whatsoever. We're not actually sinning against them. We are sinning against God himself. So for example, when we fail to see and consider others the way that God sees them, and we, we fail to value others the way that God values them, then it's God who is actually the most offended of all. We would be wise to remember that because that's uncomfortable and it's easy to forget, but that doesn't mean that it's any less true. But this is one of the reasons, probably the main reason, that David asked God for a new clean heart and a right spirit so that he, David, can, can see and understand things from God's perspective instead of his own perspective. That's where we get tripped up all the time. We start internally thinking that we know way, way more than we actually do. And so we need God to intervene and give us his perspective instead of ours. That's, that's what we actually mean when we pray that God's will be done. Have, have you ever considered that? Have you ever thought about how when we pray God, your will be done, that that also means that we're praying against our own selves? Think about that for a minute. When we ask for God's will to be done, it means that we want his will to be done instead of or in place of our own. So this need for a clean heart comes first with repenting of the fact that our hearts are dirty with sin and believing that God is the only one, just like David, believing that God is the only one who can fix it. We must rely on the mercy of the good shepherd to do for us what we are not able to do for ourselves. God's forgiveness and God's loving kindness are dimensions of the kind of mercy and goodness that David is certain. Remember, surely he's certain that God's goodness and mercy will continue to follow him. But what does that even mean? What, what's with this, it should follow him? It, it sounds strange. We often have no idea what that means. What do you mean goodness and mercy are going to follow me? Well, here, here's something else that, as we've talked a lot about sheep throughout this series, here's something else that you might not know about shepherds and sheep. Sheep know their way home. Sheep know their way home. To put it in perspective or to give you an easy example, I, I know I've mentioned before that we have a new puppy at our house. And whenever we take him out for a walk, there is a, an extremely fascinating thing that happens. Because no matter what route we take, no matter how many twists and turns we go around, this strange thing happens. As soon as we turn, 
in the direction to head back home, he immediately starts pulling as hard as he can and he tries to run. He knows the way home. We've tried this multiple times to prove this. He knows the way home. I don't know how he knows, but he knows. And I'm sure it's quite a sight for my neighbors to look out and see this little tiny dog doing everything he can to get back home while the humans are just trying to keep up behind him. We're chasing him, literally, back home. But the same is true for sheep, interestingly enough. They, they also know their way home. At the end of the day, when it's time to, to go back to the sheepfold, the shepherd walks behind the flock instead of in front of it. Behind the flock now, instead of leading from the front. And the shepherd is in the back because he's on the lookout for any sort of opportunistic predator that might be coming, looking for a trailing sheep who's been left behind or forgotten about. The shepherd follows. And follow is, is probably not even the best word here because I don't think it gives us enough of a context. This is not, follow doesn't mean like doop de doop de doop de doop The shepherd is sort of wandering around behind the sheep and not, you know, not really paying that much attention. No, the shepherd is actually pursuing the sheep. I think about the way my dog, I'm pursuing the dog as he's running away from me. But the shepherd is pursuing the sheep as they walk in front of him. Goodness and mercy are pursuing the sheep. And the good shepherd is called good because of how he cares for these sheep. He's not wandering around not paying attention. He's following them for a specific purpose. To guard and to guide them and to protect them. Remember, we've talked several times throughout this series about how in John 10, Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd. He does this over and over again. And the good shepherd is good because God is good. It's God's goodness and mercy that overflows and spills onto us. Remember last week, Pastor Mike talked about my cup overflows. Our cup overflows with the goodness and mercy of God. And, and this kind of goodness and mercy that we talk about here is in direct contrast to the way that the world works. In, in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 34, uh, God is speaking against the leaders of Israel at that particular point who really don't seem to understand what it means to take care of his people or his sheep. And so let's take a look at what he says to these shepherds, these leaders of Israel. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured you have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for wild animals. My sheep wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. 
But in complete contrast to that, we have the good shepherd who knows nothing of the way that these people are treating the sheep. The good shepherd comes to gather the flock together, not scatter the sheep. He comes to rescue the sheep, especially the, the sheep that are being overlooked. He comes and he focuses attention on the ones who are hurting the most, and he goes and he cares for them. And he shows up to feed and clothe and heal and strengthen them and to fight for them and to protect them and to rule God's kingdom, his kingdom, with goodness and mercy, not harshness and brutality, but seeks to rule with goodness and mercy that, were, that will pursue the sheep all the days of their lives. And because God is good and because he is merciful, then when Jesus is our good shepherd, then we can be just as certain as David is that the same goodness and mercy will pursue us as we go on our way too. But the question I have is, do we know where we're going? Do we know where we're going as a people? as Christians, as a society, as a church, where exactly are we headed? Have we lost our way? Have we wandered away from the Good Shepherd? Are we working more now in these moments to scatter and divide rather than bring together and unite the flock? I think these are important questions that we have to wrestle with. Yes, certainly on a larger scale, but what about personally? How about you right now in this moment? Where are you in terms of your relationship with God? With all that's going on, and in this, in this time of, of great uncertainty and unrest that we're experiencing together right now, have you been sticking close to the Good Shepherd, or, or instead, have you wandered off and you're now being pulled apart by predators? Because there are a lot of predators out there. These predators are the ones who come to seek and to kill and to destroy and to divide and to condemn. And so the question is, what is, what is pursuing you right now in your life? Is it goodness and mercy? Or is it something else? Because when the pressures of the world become too much for us to handle, that's when it becomes easier than ever to lose our way. That's when we wander off and we, we start to take matters into our own hands. We start to think that we know best. We start to think that we're going to get it figured out. We start to become very sure of ourselves all of a sudden that we know the right answers. But the reality is that the problems we face are way too big for us to solve on our own. We cannot solve these problems on our own. We need the Good Shepherd, and we need Him right now. We need the Good Shepherd to come along and lead us and guide us on the right path. Because the right path is the only path 
that leads us to his house. And isn't that where we should long to be after all? I know that's where David wants to be. Remember, he says, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we know that David has a desire to be where the Lord is, where the good shepherd is. And that's where we, I hope, that's where we seek to be as well. But what if we don't know how to get there? What if we don't have directions? What if we got out our, our phone or whatever and we, we asked Google Maps to find the Lord's house? Only to have it say that no such destination exists. What do we do then? How do we find our way? Because I don't know about you, but I'm beginning to realize how totally dependent I am now on my GPS and how, parallel, how paralyzed I feel when it stops working. Now, I, I used to be, I used to take a lot of pride. It caused a lot of arguments too, by the way, but I used to take a lot of pride in the fact that I didn't need to use GPS. I would just rely on landmarks and instincts and just kind of my internal sense of direction to get me where I needed to go. But a few weeks ago, on the way back from some friends, the GPS stopped working entirely and I didn't have any idea what to do. I just sat there, I was at a T intersection, had to turn this way or this way, didn't have any idea what to do because I didn't know the way. The GPS, GPS knew the way, but it certainly wouldn't tell me what the way was. That was so frustrating to me. Have you been there? Have you been frustrated? It's, it's a thing. But it's something that reminds me of what we see in John chapter 14. Now in John chapter 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's explaining to them that he's going away from them and, uh, and they're quite disturbed by this. What do you mean you're going away? And, and worse, he's saying, well, I'm going someplace and you can't come. Uh, at least, at least not yet. And so uh, Jesus says he's going off to his father's house. And, and of course, they want to come with him, but they don't understand what he's talking about. Uh, and, and so this is the discussion. Uh, Jesus can tell they're upset. And so he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me to that place so that you may also be where I am. You know the way, this, I love this, you know the way to the place where I am going. Well, they obviously don't because they don't know where he's going. So how would they know how to get there? But he says, you know the place I'm going. But I love how good old Thomas pipes right I, I relate a lot with Thomas. He pipes right up and says, uh, hey, Lord, we actually don't know where you're going. So how would we know the way? He just says it right out loud. And then that's when Jesus says probably one of the best and most quoted things in the Bible. I am the way. I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And he goes on to say, if you really 
know me, you will know my Father as well. Because they're the same person. From now on, you do know him and you do see him because you have seen him in Jesus. And so interestingly enough, it turns out, the Father's house doesn't require GPS after all. Doesn't require a, a map or, or a landmark or, or an instinct of how to get there. You, you don't even have to try to figure it out on your own because did you hear that Jesus has promised that he would come back for his disciples? And just like that, he's already come back for you and for me and has brought us into relationship with the Father. Because when we know Jesus and when we trust Jesus and when we cling to the fact that we know that Jesus is the way, then we're already at home. And as a sheep of his flock, we know our way home because we know Jesus. We know our way home because we know Jesus. And so no matter where we go or what we face, we are home with the Father whenever we trust our Good Shepherd. Jesus is the way we get there. And this is true right now. It's not something that's like, you know, going to happen after we physically die. It's not some far off distant promise about something that might be. No, it's something that we can be certain of in our lives today, right now. And so as we, as we bring our fearless series to a close today, my hope is that we can cling to Jesus by recognizing all of the different ways we've talked about, and some that we haven't yet. But I think this is going to sound at least a little bit familiar. I hope that you've been able to see through our time in Psalm 23 all of the ways that Jesus is the very fulfillment of the things that are talked about in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. He, he makes me lie down in green pastures. And Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and tired, and I will give you rest. He leads me beside the still waters. Jesus promises the living water that is the Holy Spirit. He restores my soul. And Jesus says that when we're with him, that is where we truly find rest for our souls. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We just talked about this. Jesus is the way to the Father. He's broken down the barriers and he's shown us the way and brought us with him. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Jesus is called the light of the world. And so he's the light in the midst of the dark valleys that we struggle with. And we know he's with us, for you are with me. Jesus says, behold, I'm with you always till the end of the age. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And remember, Jesus promises his disciples 
that he's going, when he goes away, the comforter will be sent. The Holy Spirit will come to them in his name. And he comes to us in the name of Jesus to comfort us. You prepare before me, in the, a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the cup of salvation. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. And, and Jesus says that he came that we might have life abundantly and also that the water he gives us, the Holy Spirit, means that we will never thirst again. It's living water. Surely goodness and mercy, actually I did it just like I said not to, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Jesus says that no one is good but God alone. We need to remember that much, especially in times like today. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So Jesus promised us that he has already prepared a place for us. And for all who believe and who trust in him, we are already at home with him. And so when we know him and when we trust him, then today in the midst of all the struggles going on in the world, I pray that we let the good shepherd guide us through these volatile and, and unpredictable times ahead. I pray that the good shepherd will help each of us listen when it's time to listen and speak when it's time to speak. And that when we do speak, that he is the one that puts the words in our mouths, especially when we are called to be the voice for the voiceless. And I hope that we have the courage to do that even when it's uncomfortable or unfamiliar to us. And I pray that he will use each of us as his instruments of goodness and mercy and that he will protect us as he continues to guide us and that he will, he will comfort people who are hurting and who are afraid and that he leads us into helping all who are in need and to come alongside those who have lost the strength to stand on their own, to give hope to people that have fallen into despair and, and to people that cannot see a way forward. I pray that he will not leave us alone, not leave us orphan, orphaned, but he will continue to lead and guide us in conversations with one another so that we don't speak to each other in sound bites and that we don't fall victim to this idea that somehow politics is more important than people. I pray that instead we would do the hard work of building relationships with the people that God continues to place in our lives. Why are we focusing so much time on listening to the words of people we don't even know when there are people in our community that we could go out and talk to? You want to know what's going on? Let's start a conversation. You want to know how we ended up in this situation that we're in? Let's talk about it. Let's not rely on people that we don't even know to tell us what we should be thinking. I pray that we will remember that this battle is not between people. The battle that we're fighting 
is between the goodness and the mercy of God and the powers and the principalities that seek to divide us and destroy us. And I pray that now more than ever, we will come to know and to trust Jesus alone and believe that he gives each of us the courage needed for us to be able to go out and share the good news about this good shepherd to a hurting and a broken world that needs him more than anything. I hope that you will pray that with me, and I hope that you will join me in that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.